God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins, banish our fears, make us bold to praise you and to do your will, and steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, just a, a quick review, recap. Our first uh, Sunday, we ended up chatting about um, kind of the, the table within the landscape, the larger landscape of the history of Anglicanism. Kind of what does it mean to be an Anglican church? What is Anglicanism? You know, what does that mean? Um, and we drew, uh, you know, drew that back to the ancient church, that it was a, it was a renewal, a kind of a reformation movement within England that was seeking to uh, kind of go back to the faith and order of the early church. Um, it's essentially what they were trying to do. They weren't really trying to start a new church. They weren't trying to break off from Rome. They were just saying, look, we want to, you know, we want to practice the, the faith and order of the early church um, and get back to that. So anyway, obviously there was a lot more to it, uh, a lot of uh, political infighting and all kinds of different things that happened. But uh, in essence, it was a little bit different from the, from the, the Protestant reformations that were happening on the continental Europe, in continental Europe. In England, it was, uh, there was a little bit more connection to the East, um, and because they had been cultivating kind of their own Christian faith on the, on the British Isles, um, it ended up taking on a little bit different flavor. Um, so it tends to be a little bit more connected to the Catholic Church kind of across the world than the Protestant Reformation, uh, I think, was what tended to be a little bit more eager to set up something new, break off, you know, start something of their own, that kind of thing. So that was the first week, June 10th, then the second week. Uh, we talked about the compass rose and kind of how Anglicanism gives us a picture of what it means to navigate these tensions that most of the time we feel like we have to be in one camp or the other, um, that there's a binary that gets set up. The frame that we see through ends up being, are you this or are you that? And uh, the, the, the opportunity, I think, that Anglican give, Anglicanism gives us is that we don't need to be this or that. We can actually say, actually, I think, I think there's a third way. I think there's a way to hold these tensions. I think there's a way to follow Jesus and not submit to this frame, this way of talking about the issue that says, okay, it can only be this or that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then the third week, we talked about how that plays itself out then in like tons of hot button issues today where that is kind of the rhetoric where you have to be this camp or that camp. You know, are you this or are you that? And we're trying to say, trying to maintain a different kind of space say we're not trying to be this or that. And then uh, last week we talked about sacramental ontology. I was very impressed uh, with you all kind of hanging with me. I, I felt a little insecure about saying, hey, we're going to talk about this, but, uh, but I, think we, I think we figured it out. Yeah. Um, what's that? Uh, well, I think you guys nailed it. I think we, like, we, we got somewhere together, so I think it was fun uh, to me uh, to be able to, to talk through that. So... Uh, so yeah, and that, that sacramental ontology that God is present in creation. He's not a long ways away. And our, our language sometimes, right, uh, convinces of this. Uh, we talk about God being up there, right, which gives, us, which gives us a conceptual frame that God is like out there somewhere, right, hiding behind Jupiter or something. Like he's out there and, I, and, and we try to find him because we can't, we can't see him. But if we think that God is present in creation and works through creation, there's a different way of framing questions up. There's a different way of talking about it, a different way of thinking about it, right? So that sacramental ontology that God is present, always present, in creation, you know, inhabiting the space between the particles, basically, like we're swimming in God. He's not just a being in the universe, he's the ground of all being, right? He is being itself. In him we live and move and have our being, right? So because of that, it kind of informs everything about the way that we do church, the way that we think about our lives, the way that we, we do everything, right? It has to be informed by that. But that's not the predominant frame that our world gives us. And so we, uh, to, to be able to live, like we said last week, like the goal of, of, of a sacramental ontology is that we would learn to live our entire lives in a sacramental way, where I would be walking through my life talking with people around me, fully conscious that God is present, that God is here, fully awake to the fact that God is, that God is among us, 
and I can participate in what I see him doing, right? And if you can imagine what that would be like, right? That would be heaven, essentially, right? We'd be fully conscious, fully awake to the presence of God that's always here. We'd never be afraid, right? Like there, there would be, there, all the kinds of things would, would happen for us, right? So that's kind of what we talked about as the goal, like the goal of having sacraments as a church is that we would learn to live our lives sacramentally. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit today then about um, the specific vision and mission and practices that we've cultivated at the table because they're directly connected to all of that other stuff, right? We didn't just sort of pull some words out of a hat. Like, what are our values? Authenticity. I like that. You know, I like, you know, I like this thing, that thing. So, so our vision and practices are directly connected to all of this stuff because our vision is what we see that doesn't exist yet, that we, wanna, that we want to exist. Our mission then is like, okay, well, what's, what's our mandate? You know, what has is, what is God given for us to do? And then the practices are like, what are the granular things that we can practice that will move us toward the picture that we're seeing, right? So the, what are those things? And so we want to talk about some of those things. But I want to get us talking first. Um, so uh, I've got a few questions here. I'm not sure which one to start with. Um, I wonder if, uh, if you guys could think about um, just naming some things you notice about the way that we do things at the table. Like without, you know, I mean, without cheating and looking at the website and seeing our practices or whatever. But, um, but like, what, what do you notice about the way that we do things? Like, what strikes you about it as you think about just how we exist as a community, what we do at the table? I'm curious what the... What language do you guys would use for that? Yeah. Yeah, communal discernment. We discern things as a community, which is different from what? Like, what would that con- be in contrast to? Uh, here's, like, the outline of our core values and wherever it falls in the rules and the lines, like, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, good. So communal discernment, which uh, is kind of a function of like on the compass rose, like the charismatic mm-hmm. side of things, right? Where we're saying, what is God doing now? What is, how would we know, mm-hmm. right? And so we trust, we'll talk about this today, but communal discernment trusts that God is present and at work in the community. He's speaking among us and that he is actually present, right? Sacramental ontology. Christ is present in the community to lead us. Like Christ is the leader of the church. He's the head of the body. And uh, we learn to pay attention to him by discerning things communally. And there's some practices that we cultivate that allow us to do that, right? Um, we'll talk about some of that stuff. But yeah, we discern things together. It's not that we don't have leaders, right? We don't discern everything together. Like Andy's preaching today. He didn't like convene a meeting of the entire church to just check to see if what he's going to say is okay. You know what I mean? Like nobody, we didn't all sign off on Andy's sermon today. And some of us don't know what the songs are going to be today. You know, Scott and Alicia are leading. And so does that make sense? Like we don't, you know, we've got leaders, but we've got leaders that we've empowered, you know, to, to make some of those decisions. Right. And if there's ever an issue, the way that we talk about it, right, there's a certain way that we talk about it, which is we own our own Kairos, right? Man. I really hated that song, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I'm not sure why, you know, I really hated that. This happened last week or the, uh, a couple weeks ago. We sang that new song, um, Joel, that you sang last week as well. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. Father, Father, now, I can't remember this. Father, you know. now we do this thing. Father, now we do this thing, right? You guys remember that song? <laughs> uh, no, the, the, I remember what it was. The world will sing his love, that song. Yeah. The world, will, yeah. So that's got a fourth verse to it that, uh, that like, as I was singing it, I noticed it bothered me because I hadn't really checked it out all the way. And it was, it was talked about, like, our home above. Like, we're going to go to heaven, our home above. Like, we're, we're checking out of this place and we're going to heaven. And I was like, ah, you know, like, I, I had a little, like, we were singing it. I was like, right. I was like, ah, wait, that's not what I, you know. And then Matt brought it up, too, at our staff meeting. He's like, hey, that last verse. 
you know, like, I think I have an issue with it, you know? And I was like, yeah, I, I do too. So that was a quick discernment. It was like, let's not do that last verse anymore. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we, we discerned that. But, does that make sense? Yeah. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like, uh, I don't know. It wasn't like Matt didn't like the last verse and then like tried to, tried to manipulate me into like, you know what I mean? He owned the fact that he had a problem with it. And he was like, but I submitted to you. Like, do you guys have a problem with it? What do you think? Is it okay? Does that make sense? Yes. It's a very different posture. Very different. Um, the other posture is sort of withholding what I really want and what I'm really noticing and trying to make something happen. Right? So what we try to do instead is, no, I'm going to own my kairos. I was offended by this, or I don't, know how to, I don't know how to do this, or I'm confused by this. Right? We own our own subjectivity. Anyway, we'll say, we can say more about that. Thank you, Mallory. Discerning things communally. Anything else? What do you guys notice about the way we do things? Well, just could be to, anything. Yeah. To add to what you, you brought up, Andy, and him preaching, and just the fact that uh, yes. we're a community that uh, that sees proclaiming good news to one another as something that isn't just the job of a person right. up front on Sunday morning, but something that we do all the time as a community. Yes. And that's that's a very different way of. Talking about yes. good news than, than I've experienced in other churches. Yeah, good. Yeah. So the, the sharing of the preaching duties is a not just, you know, like, thank goodness I don't have to preach every week. You know, like that's not it's not necessarily just, you know, helping me not to have to pull together a sermon or, or Matt. Um, but yeah, but it's a it's an intentional act of empowerment. Uh, to say, hey, there, there are people among us who are gifted to preach. Not everybody's gifted to preach, you know. Everybody can, but everybody can proclaim good news, right? Every, and that's one of our practices. We'll talk about gospeling. Like the, the learning how to proclaim good news to one another is important. Um, and oftentimes uh, we can, some of you guys I know have experienced this when Deb has preached because she uh, was our first female preacher. But like there's a different you're able to hear something different, especially women, are able to hear a woman proclaim good news. And it's like, it, it hits you, I don't even know how to describe it. I can't remember how you guys have told me this, but like it hits you in a new, different way, right? Because there's, a, there's proclamation of good news coming from a female perspective, right? Um, today we're gonna hear proclamation of good news coming from an Andy perspective, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, everybody's, you know what I mean? Everybody's got a perspective. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think along those lines, for me, one thing that it didn't, I didn't recognize it right away, but I really appreciated it, is I've not butted up against things that make me feel like, like a gender difference. You know, like hmm. whether it's being called out to the leadership of preaching. Yes. And honestly, a small thing was actually having coffee by myself with Ben. I've <laughs> never yeah. had that happen before in yeah. a ministry setting. Like, I've served um, on a church for years and been an integral part of like the team. That any time there was like a meeting, there always going to be an extra person there. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. It's a public place. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, can you, do you mind saying more about that? Why is that a big deal for you? Like what? Uh, it's a big deal for me yeah. because um, I've had meetings canceled before mm. because the other person couldn't come. Well, Not to be convenient to talk, but the third person wasn't yeah. able to come so we didn't meet. It's yeah. a big deal because I live my life in a space where I had to make an Ikea run for work with one of my coworkers. And we were asked to drive separately to Ikea. Yeah. 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 So that yeah. the messaging that sends yes. is very, um, like, we're not trustworthy. Right. Like, Just either, something... either men aren't trustworthy because you never know what they're going to do. Right. Or I'm not trustworthy because I'm a stuffer. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Amen. Yeah, the subtle, yeah. We got, some, <laughs> we got some amens from the women. Yeah. The subtle message it sends is there's something inherently dangerous mm -hmm. about this, right? Which creates like distrust. Yes. Um, and yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's intentional as well. You, you said the Mike Pence rule. It's, it was also before before Billy Mike Graham. Pence. It was the Billy Graham rule. So yeah, no, it is the Billy Graham rule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it's so <laughs> yes. Yeah, we could, he popularized it yeah, in the American political landscape. Yeah. Uh, well, you can see, yeah, oddly enough, and I mean this is controversial, but Scripture does that. Yeah. I mean, though Scripture is incredibly liberating, uh-huh. but Jesus was very liberating towards women. Yet at the same time, parts of Scripture. It sometimes gives that kind of demonization. Yeah. Um, yeah. Women. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you have read it. Yeah. Um, right. It's, I, mean, I read it once. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, there's this great tension in it. And you yes. can see why our evangelical brothers, I mean, I was schooled in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I was, I mean, I, when I, going into the pastorate, I was um, brought before like a group of men. You can't hug women anymore. You, mm. you, you've got to be as cold as a dead fish. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to see how you know this. How does this work? And no, because there's a fear of the whole issues of sexuality that's yeah. so little talked about in yeah. the church. Um, and so. There's the, you have this place where scripture has this places, especially Old Testament, where it falls on the you know woman, you know, you the whole thing of you know who hears without sin, cast the first stone. That you get that picture. It's the woman. Caught. Yeah, yeah. It's the woman's issue was the guy. Right? Yeah. I thought it take, took two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, That's the kind of the yeah. historical precedent. I think the church got caught up in that, and then I think the lack of. The ability to own sexuality, yeah. being open and discussing your own sexual kairos or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, totally. You know? um, yeah. Maybe we should patent that or something, you know. <laughs> you know, so I think in it, there's, you can see as we go into it, is it really, I felt you're... You know, I feel I've watched women be shamed yes. historically in yeah. the church, and at the same time, I know that I've been shamed. Yes. Um, and told you you can't give messages. You uh-huh. and I realized that I have to be careful that you know. Yes. Obviously, you could. Right. You know, I yes. have to be truthful to my own self. Yes. That. Yeah. But yet. That's living with truth in one's inmost being, right. which is the core of yes. yeah. being in community. So yeah, yeah. I think I mean it's we could talk a lot about it, but like I think the oftentimes the the reason we find things in the Bible is because we're looking at it through our lens, right? Yeah. We've got we've got these lenses on, and we can't we can't not have lenses on. Nobody's reading scripture like as it is. Nobody's doing that, right? Like nobody's, it's it's clear as day. I know, yeah. <laughs> not even if this gets on the internet, I like not even. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just really quick, I wonder about the Sioux as far as it perpetuating just the lack of female leaders in the church as well. Yes. If most of the leaders are men, but the men are not allowed to spend time with women right. or invest in women. Right. Women are not invested in. Right. Therefore, our church communities don't have right. women leaders. Right. Well, and, then, yeah. and then women investing in men as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, and then we believe that that's what we're for. Like, that's, I think that's been like a struggle for me is like trying to come out of this, like, okay, that's, we're like believing like we're just for like sex and we're just for to be helpers and we're just for like coming out of that has been so rough. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you've you you've got the you've got a lifetime, mm-hmm. however long that is for every one of you, like of messages, subtle and overt, right? That are that are hard to stand up against. We were so Matt and I were at this conference uh, this past weekend and we like one of the issues was can we afford to go to this thing and we were just talking about it on the podcast and we actually had a friend of ours or an acquaintance of mine 
say, hey, we rented an Airbnb, it's got extra bedrooms, do you want to stay with us? We'll pay, we'll pay the extra charge. I was like, okay, yes, we'll do that. It was a really nice house. Um, so anyway, so we stayed with this, uh, we stayed with this team, this church team, and two, two young couples and the pastor of this church uh, went to this thing. Um, and uh, at one point, uh, I had asked uh, the, the, the two women in the room, like, hey, I wonder what, how you guys are, you know, like, because they didn't talk much, you know, during, as in our normal discussions, they, they weren't talking much. And I just asked them, like, how are you guys, how is this hitting you? Like, what do you think about all of this, that kind of thing? Um, and, and one of the women ended up saying exactly that, like, like, oh, like, it was, it was a, she's like, I'm learning that I actually have a voice. And she said, like, even your question to me is like, oh, yeah, I can say what I think. You know, like, right, you know, like, like it's, there's a, there's a lifetime of messages that, you know, that have to be intentionally sort of pushed against, right? We can't just wait for women leaders to like, well, I don't know, if they're around, they'll just show up, you know, they'll just, like, right. Because the men have had a history in general, I mean, this is a generalization, but the men have had a history of being tapped and saying like, hey, you've got, you got potential, I want to invest in you, you know, let's. Let's do this. But the women, because of this, I can't even hug a woman. You know what I mean? Like the stuff you were talking about, Sean, like they just tend not to be tapped for leadership. This is just a small example. I've had different women speak that over me, but I mean, I remember the first time, and it was um, like two years ago, that, and I'm somebody that for years, whenever I take a spiritual gifts test, leadership has, or pastor has always come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was two years ago, the first time a male actually called out the gift of leadership to me. Like, and that's been something that I've yeah. people see for years. Like, I've yeah. been there for a long time, but it is just, it's not, that never would have happened if it was a guy. It just wouldn't have. They, like, right. they get pushed to, to, you know, to do things and pull forward, and yeah. it doesn't happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good. That's great, guys. Um, yeah, that is a big, uh, it's an important part of who we are. The intentional empowering. It's not in our, I was just realizing it's not in our practices or our vision explicitly, um, but I'm just thinking about it. Like if it's something that strikes you guys so much, maybe it should be something we talk about. Anyway. Okay, good. Yeah, anything else you guys notice about our community, the way that we do things? Yeah? yeah. Eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. Yes. Say more about that. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by that? Um, a lot of stuff that we do is uh, centered around tables. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, and for centuries people have been gathering around tables, so it didn't matter if it's mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah, we have coffee and stuff like that right. for um, Eucharist, but also whenever we meet in our, um, like our, what are they called, table groups, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, is kind of in limbo kind of right now. Yeah. Um, there's, But on Tuesdays, we're, we're always bringing what we have to to the table mm-hmm. uh, regarding food and sustenance. Uh, we're all sharing that. Yeah. Um, you know. Yes. Yeah. 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 So eating and drinking as a as a spiritual practice, basically, as as a not just something we do because, well, I would die unless I ate and drank <laughs> things, you know. But but we do it as a way of so it's as a sacramental kind of thing. Yeah. One of the small things I like about that too is this is the first community I've been in where I feel like it's totally acceptable what I'm drinking as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you have vodka to share, you can drink it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like whiskey. Totally. Yeah. Just like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a sort of a, a minor thing, but um, one of the things I do appreciate about the Anglican Church uh, in general is that they've never really had a hang up uh, with that stuff. So, I mean, the priest is required to drink alcohol every Sunday, you know, and everybody. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm halfway joking. But there hasn't been a puritanical impulse within it ever, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, those are, uh, those are really good. Uh, and I think, uh, I think they play into the way that we talk about um, our vision, our mission, our practices. Um, but actually, it's given me a lot. I'm halfway just thinking. Uh, out loud here, you know, I mean, uh, just in terms of like the empowerment of 
women, I mean, that's why we're part of the diocese we're part of, is we know that our bishop uh, ordains women. Like in, the, in, the, in our province, you guys remember all this, the, the way it works out? In our province, it's actually uh, a dual integrity issue. And this isn't just the empowerment of women, this is the ordination of women. So the ordination of women as priests. Um, it's, which means that bishops can decide whether or not that's going to be something they do. And the other thing is that um, women cannot be ordained as bishops in our diocese as it stands right now. So, so anyway, but that's you know neither here nor there. It's kind of a, uh, a conglomeration of people who were trying to come together to form something but had different opinions on this issue. And we're trying to, it's still pretty contentious and trying to be worked out and all that kind of stuff. But uh, one of the reasons that we joined the diocese we did was because this matters a lot to us and we knew that uh, it did to Todd as well. Um, and so we're confident there will be a way, you know, forward for all that stuff. So um, let, me, let me just go over quickly um, kind of what we say is our, our vision, our mission, uh, some of our practices, and then we'll just we'll have a discussion about some of these things. Does that sound good? So the vision, uh, the vision like, is what we see. Uh, and what we say is that uh, we, we see a multiplying movement of sacramental missional Anglican churches networked together. So, <laughs> a little entertainer over there. Um, so, uh, most of you know, you know, Spencer and Mallory are like on the ordination track. Well, Spencer is on the ordination track, and they're planning to plant some kind of a sister church some kind of a expression of the table, you know, in the Fountain Square area at some point, right? When it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit, uh, when we get a critical mass, or, you know, we're just waiting for some of these indications uh, before we say, okay, this is what we're doing. But that is very much the plan, right? Um, these guys aren't making plans to move further north so they can be closer. We're actually planning to multiply, you know, into uh, distinct communities. So that, um, that's an expression of that vision, right? So we see uh, as, you know, if God gives growth, like we don't see just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as a monolith, uh, we see multiplying. I think churches work really well when they're like 200 people or less. Um, they work really well that way. And so if we're going to have 1,000 people like at the table, I'd much rather have five congregations who are networked together than try to find a really big building to kind of put everybody into. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so that's the vision. Um, that's always been the vision. It's kind of interesting. We actually had our first like church planting, uh, you know, apprentice. I don't know. What's your title? <laughs> it's the most informal apprenticeship ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We basically, we, basically uh, we have coffee sometimes. No, no we... Uh, <laughs> no, it's, Anyway, um, I'm only half joking. It's, it's not, yeah. Somebody asked us the other day, like, How, what's, your, what's your apprenticeship program like? I was like, oh, geez. It's, it's, it's pretty organic, you know? Like, <laughs> it's not really a program. Um, but, I mean, one of, the things I, uh, one of the things I liked about that, though, is that, like, like the Ruarks were part of our core team. So we had, like, multiplication, like, built into the start of this whole thing, which I... You know, there's some liabilities to that. You know, it's sometimes, you know, if they go, if they, if they went and plant, planted their church tomorrow, like, we'd both have tiny churches, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but that kind of thing. So, so that's what we see, right? So that's the vision, is these sacramental, missional, Anglican churches that are networked together. And the way that we're networked together, uh, I think, was what I'd call our mission, um, which is what we do. Um, and so we're networked together under this common mission to... Uh, encounter, embody, and extend the presence of Christ. So I'm going to write these words up here. So these words are pretty important for us. Encounter, embody, embody, extend. And what we are encountering and embodying and extending is the presence of Jesus. Okay? So the presence of Jesus is, uh, is kind of the, the functional thing here, right? So how do you know if you have a church? Well, is Jesus present? Like, 
That's the church. And so it's, again, sacramental. The, encounter, the sacramental encounter uh, in general is bread and wine, right? This is, this, is, uh, this is my body, Jesus says. And so Christ's presence is here in bread and wine, right? That's why that's the sacramental ontology here in the encounter. But then uh, it needs to go beyond that into this embodiment. So like Christ is present in our life together. So this is, this is what we do at table groups. We, we gather, we eat and drink together, but we're, we're present to one another. We're not just feeding our bodies. We're, we're being present to each other, we're connecting to each other. We're receiving and we're giving, right? We're praying for one another, all that kind of thing. So it's sacramental in our life together as the body of Christ. And then it's uh, extending the presence of Christ. And so that means that it's sacramental in mission. So mission for us is sacramental. It's not just something I'm doing for God. I'm going to go report back. It's something I do with God. Yeah? So I do this with God. And so we meet Christ, for example, in the least of these. Christ says, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So what are we doing in mission? We're going to meet the presence of Jesus. We're just finding them in the poor. We're finding them in the marginalized. We're finding them in the person who is weak. And does that make sense? So it's all, it's all about the presence of Jesus in bread and wine, our life together, and in mission. Does that make sense? Good, we covered it. Um, boom. Um, so just uh, a couple more things about encounter then. Um, Angl- we'll talk about this when we talk about Anglican worship uh, in a couple weeks. But Anglican worship is not a pep rally. It's not a classroom. Uh, it is an encounter with the living Christ. It's an encounter. Like that's essentially what it is. And so we encounter Christ, not just in bread and wine, but in his word. That's, in, that's important to say, right? It's about word and sacrament. And so the written word being spoken, the gospel being proclaimed, that's a sacramental thing. We meet Christ as his word is proclaimed. And then we meet Christ as the bread and the body, uh, are, are, sorry, the bread and the wine are given. Yeah, thank you. Uh, become his, you know, his body and blood. And so um, it's an actual encounter with Christ. And, and predominantly this is done for us on Sundays, right? Sunday morning is the time where we... We've planned this, right? Andy's got a word he's preaching. We're, you know, we, we're, we have people who are going to read scripture. Uh, we're going to break bread and drink wine, and we're going, to, we're going to encounter Christ. And so Sundays is kind of the primary place for that, right? And it, it also functions as the, um, how do I say it? Uh, it's like a, it functions as the rubric for how I recognize the presence of Christ in my everyday life. So how would I know if I'm meeting Christ in my everyday life? It will, it will be this presence that I encounter at the table, right? This presence that I encounter at the table, oh, there's going to be echoes out here as well, right? So I don't get to just make it up, like, oh, I met the presence of Christ in this conversation. Well, the only reason I would know that is that it coheres with what I encounter at the table. I mean, the table, the communion table, not necessarily just our church, right? So, like, um, so we encounter Christ uh, in, in a meal, right? And so th- this is a big part of why, you mentioned this, Andy, a big part of why our church is called the table is that um, we do see, like, we, come, we, we take communion every week, right? So there's an encounter with Christ in a meal every week. It's, it's token food. It's not, you know, it's not going to fill your belly up, you know? even though we, we typically take communion around lunchtime, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, it's not going to fill your belly up, but it, but it is meeting with Christ in a meal. And so then that, um, that's meant then to result in and flow out into our embodiment as the body of Christ in the world. And so uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we pray this prayer every Sunday. Come after we do the great Thanksgiving, right, and we, and we do the words of remembrance, uh, the, yeah, the words of remembrance, this is my body, and then we, then we pray. We pray a prayer of consecration over the elements. We say this, Come, O Spirit of Christ, and sanctify these gifts, this bread and this wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ. So there's the presence of Christ, right? We're praying that the bread and wine would be the body and blood of Christ. Vibrant with life, healing, renewing, and making us whole. Sanctify us also, that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament. So we're asking God to sanctify the bread and the wine. It's going to be the body of Christ. Sanctify us, that we faithfully receive and then it says this, uh, and draw us into your blazing heart that as your gifts are consumed in us, the gifts of bread and wine, we might be consumed in transfiguring love and thus become one with you 
And here's the phrase, that we might become the real presence of Christ for the world. So we believe in the real presence of Christ at the table, you know, in worship, which then becomes the real presence of Christ in the body, in the world. So Christ, how is Christ present in the world? Well, he's present in the Eucharist, and he's present in his body. Yeah? So we become the presence of Christ. How do people encounter Christ? Well, if they come into your home, you know, they should encounter Christ. That's the, that's the goal, okay? And so we need to do more than hope this will happen, which is why we have this intentional thing, you know, that we're trying to sort out and work out, but table groups, right? What are table groups? Table groups are meant to be places where we can work out this embodying. What does this look like to embody the, the presence of Christ? What would that look like for us to be the body of Christ together in an intentional way? And so in, in some ways, again, this comes back to sacramental ontology, the church is the sacrament of Christ in the world, right? How do people encounter Christ? Through the church. Now, there's, there's more than that. You can't boil it down to that. But that is God's sort of way of working in the world, is that his, his, his church becomes his body. And so we embody the presence of Christ in meals in our homes, right? So these things kind of flow into each other, right? So this is Sunday. We encounter Christ in the Eucharist. We encounter Christ in our homes. Uh, and then it's meant then to extend into our everyday ordinary lives. So it's not just a come and see thing, uh, but we're also meant to practice hospitality, opening space for others to be drawn into the life of God, Right? And so we don't want to put up barriers. Instead, we want to open doors and say, well, yeah, you can be here. You can come. And we, we try to create environments where we, we can do that. But then we also extend it into workplaces, into third places, right? Um, not just as individuals, but in twos and threes, right? So going out to watch the fireworks last night, as some people did that in Fishers, like there's an extension of the body of Christ because where two or three are gathered, there he is, right there in the park, right? And so... Um, so Christ is able to be seen then out in the world in our love for one another, right? So there's something about our relationships, our love for one another that, that, that uh, displays uh, the presence of Christ. Um, any thoughts on that? Any questions? This is how we talk about it. This is why we talk in this, in this way. And then I'll say Sunday homes, and then I'll say in the world, so to speak. It's all about presence. Any, any, anything there? Any questions on that? Yeah, Scott. One of the things that comes to my mind is like I often have this like, uh, unspoken pressure that I constantly have to be evangelizing. Like just, hmm. you know, like so when I hear the word extend, the connotation, yeah. sometimes it is like, well, whether you say it or not, that means evangelizing. Like that's what comes to my mind. Yeah. But I'm trying to like kind of undo that because, yeah. um, It's not like when you say extend the presence of Christ, like I think it shouldn't just have to mean necessarily that that means you have to intentionally always have to have some sort of non-believing friend to be present. Like that just means that you with believers and you are there yes. just by coming together you're extending the presence of Christ. Yes. That yes. doesn't mean extending the presence of Christ just to non-believers, but believers to whoever. Yeah. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, th I think what it hinges on, what your, your hesitancy there hinges on, is your definition of evangelism. Yes. Yeah? Right. So say more about that. Like, what is, what's in your mind when you say there's this pressure or this expectation I mean, of evangelism? Well, for me, like, I've gone through a lot of transformation in just what I believe about uh, hell, not, I mean, to go into that conversation. Because um, that's where it really comes down to me in a lot of ways. Okay. And so, like, you know, like, I... I've had a very conservative like view, and that's kind of uh, mm -hmm. progressed and yeah. changed and molded in different ways, and that has always affected yeah. the way I've thought about why I talk to people who aren't believers. Mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of and so yes. Uh, since that's kind of changed, I didn't. I've been trying to like reform my uh, pressure to have more, I guess, of an authentic relationship to where you're not doing yes. other people as projects. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And that, that's where I think our, our practices come in. Because what you're narrating is evangelism is, I mean, the, the old word means, you know, the gospel. It's the proclamation of good news, which is, you know, it's proclaiming good news, which is actually one of our practices, right? But the way that you're, the way that you're sort of saying it and coming out of it, right, is 
is a is a sales pitch to like get people across the line so they don't go to hell yeah. when they die, right? Like that's the pitch. The pitch is you want to go to hell because it sucks, right? <laughs> no, all right. Pray this prayer. You know what I mean? Like rather than rather than like proclaiming good news. And so, so one of the things, one of the, one of the kind of re- major revolutions in my thinking that, that's along the lines of what you're talking about, Scott, uh, was that I, um, at a certain point, I think I realized that discipleship and evangelism are the same thing. They're the same thing. So what we're learning to do, for example, in our DNA groups is what? We're listening to each other. We're discerning where there's bad news at work in our lives. And what do we do, what do, we do with bad news? Give it some good advice? No, we proclaim news. We proclaim good news, right? So we're learning to proclaim contextualized, specific good news into one another's lives. Yeah. And, and if you've ever had this done to you, you're like, oh, more of that, please. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> that is, that's what I need, you know? Like, that's, that's some good stuff, right? Um, which is exactly what evangelism at its best is. Is we're out there, we're just interested in people, we're listening to them, we discern, where's their bad news at this person's life? And we're able then to proclaim good news to them. That's what Jesus does. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the woman at the well, right? He, he proclaims good news to her. Um, I mean, everybody. He's always doing this with his disciples. But he's always, he's always doing it from a listening posture. Because he realizes, like, his proclamation of good news is not an atonement theory. Hey, in a little while, a couple years, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I need you to believe that, right? And then your sins can be forgiven, right? No, like, it's contextual, right? Has no one condemned you? Well, neither do I condemn you, right? And even go and sin no more. That's a proclamation of good news. Go and leave, go and leave this life. You can. You know, like, that's good news to her. Or the woman at the well, you know? Will you give me a drink? Almost is, that's almost good news, right? <laughs> Speaking of the Billy Graham rule, meeting with women at Wells right. in the middle of the day when nobody else is around. Right. right. Which is why the disciples were shocked. You know, the text says, like, the disciples were shocked to find him talking with a woman. You know, like, like whoa, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, so. can, I, can I say something, too? Just, uh, I have, what Scott is narrating, again, like you said, is something that I can uh, relate to, and mm. probably a lot of people can. And, and I think that when I was in that place in my life where that that's what that's what proclaiming good news was or that's what evangelism was mm. um, listening listening to people was yeah. very low on the list of, of, yeah. of priorities it, I was not, like, like listening was giving was, was giving somebody a chance to say whatever they were saying and in the back of my mind is wait this conjuring okay how am I going to respond? I was constantly trying to think of how I'm going to respond to rather than actually like just being present to another person. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. No pressure in that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And I think we're worried. I mean, we we've mapped this before on a matrix where we talk about um, you know connection up here and then distinction over here. And by that we mean like connection is like we're together, we're present to one another, we're we're cohering, right? And distinction just means we're different, right? That make that makes sense. So distinction isn't like frou-frou, refine something. Some people have interpreted it that way. But distinction is just like, we're different, right? And so, uh, evangelism, when it's all distinction, here's how we're different. You're going to hell and I'm not. You know? But there's no connection. Right? It's like call-out evangelism. If you guess, this maps to grace and truth, right? So it's call-out evangelism. It's, there's no relationship. It's just getting people across the line. It's a, it's a mill. You know what I mean? Like, impersonal. Uh, and what a lot of people did in an effort to escape this was they went to connection, but they just sort of, it, it turned into like, well, I hope somebody notices something different about us, you know? But actually the whole message was, there's nothing different about us, we're just like you. And so we sort of hope that osmosis evangelism, like, eventually they'll just sort of get saved automatically or something. Yeah. Right? Um, but I think connection and distinction together is what Jesus shows us, right? Because that is essentially the incarnation, Right? It's God becoming a human. Distinction. God, God, God's the creator. We're created. 
but actually he became, he became, he didn't just put on flesh, he became flesh and still is flesh, right? So it's the ultimate distinction coming into connection. And Jesus, like, is this in himself, and he calls us into it, right? That there is a way to be with one another and distinct from one another, and that actually opens up space for God's kingdom to come. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, Sean. Um, you know, it's... it's um, I experienced that here. I experienced that level of depth of community, um, the sharing of one's lives, um, the, um, the, ability, the, the ability to be truthful, to um, understand, own your own kairos, mm. um, that inner work, and, and yet, um, my, I came out, I was saved out of a big mess from a group of people who were witnessing on a beach. Yeah, yeah. Who, who came to witness to me and my girlfriend who were shacking up on a beach when I was in high school. And I remember when we, they were witnessing uh, to us, and I was going to the University of New Hampshire, and they said, well, we're going to follow, follow up with you. I'm like, yeah, what is that? I don't know what that means. They were waiting for me when I got to the university. university. <laughs> <laughs> Man, these guys are like, I'm to heaven here. And, um, uh, and, and yet, at the same time, I remember saying to my girlfriend, I really respect what they were doing, yes. um, but I could never do that. I found myself on that same summer project, that beach project, like two years later, doing yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what the thing is, and yet that model of what Joel, I think, was saying is you're present with someone, they're talking, but you've got another agenda. Yeah. Right. Right. You are not present for right. what the Spirit is doing because you have an agenda. Yes. Which yeah. is to save your soul. Ultimately right. that's yeah. Um, and and you knew that there's something in which they're going out to invite people in to a community it was so attractive to me. That they were going out inviting yes. people in. Yes. Um, and yet it got twisted. Yeah. There was a season in which Billy Graham worked, mm -hmm. and yet it doesn't work like that right. anymore. People yeah. sniff that and know that's disingenuous. Uh -huh. Now that it wasn't back then, what's right. the spirit doing? Yeah. You know, in our age, yeah. um, that we have to. Because I'll tell you that I'm my. I wonder if we will be people that go out. Hmm. That we will be going to search and see if those were lost. Yes. Like, but lost in what way? Right. Their lives are, you know, they're depressed. Right. They're hungry. They're, yes. You know, they're being ISIS taking away their parents and the kids are home by themselves. Mm -hmm. Their kids are lost. You know, we're going out, to going, you yes. know, reaching, mm -hmm. and so, so that's the. You know, because that's a great tension. Because when you right. when you're you have that inward work, I've seen in institutions where it's a inward work and there's a community in depth. But the going out to find, yes, invite, yes, that that. So I don't want to throw. You know, the thing is when we talk about these things, that I feel like, ooh, I was part of that. Yeah, <laughs> not listen to people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yet at the same time, I'm like, there was some God was in that. Yes. Saving yes. Out Absolutely. Out of my mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that we would be both. Yeah. That we wouldn't be the people that say, oh, we're above that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's totally. spirit. Yeah. That, um, Yes. Because I feel it in myself, because there is some place that's like, oh, yeah. gosh. Right. I just want, you just want to throw the whole baby out the bathroom. Yeah. You yeah. just kind of go this way. You yeah. Know? It'll, just, it'll work out if we never think about it. You know what I'm saying? It's a family. Yeah, that's great. You know, like, he doesn't even, yeah. even practices that maybe aren't the best ones. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that worked back then, too, is that like we live in a post-Christian culture, and back then that's not what we were. Back then, it, 
we have like yeah. the mass middle of people used to our culture used to lean more Christian. Yep. And so it didn't take a whole lot to bump somebody to the other side, but now mm-hmm. our mass culture doesn't lean Christian. Yeah. So it takes a whole lot more. So evangelism, how it used to be, doesn't work the best way anymore. Yeah. Because People are so far, they yeah. want more than just a little bump to the yeah. other side. Right. Yeah. And even the word Christian or it, 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 it's, you know, right. people go, oh. yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. And I think um, the, uh, the early church, uh, I think, shows us the way in some of these ways. They were a lot more patient because they needed to be. Because, again, it was a longer journey into, like, you know, they were seen as cannibals and pagans because they didn't worship the Roman gods. And you know what I mean? Like, it was like a big deal to join a Christian group, right? So they had to be patient. But I do know, like, one of the reasons they grew uh, in the ancient world was when the plagues hit, for example. And most of the wealthy would just flee the cities, right? They'd, they'd flee out to the hills where they had a home or some family or something like that. Um, the Christians were the ones who stayed in the city and cared for the sick and the dying. And sometimes they'd contract the disease and die. But sometimes they, they just, you know, all the person needed was a drink of water every few hours, you know, and they recovered. And what do you think that person did? Well, they became a Christian, you know, like, <laughs> they were like, wow, this is like, this is something very different than what we're, you're risking your life to take care of me. That's, you know, so I, I see some of that going out, you know, some of that intentionality. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a test of our hearts, right, to say, like, am I committed to just not being a certain kind of Christian? I don't want to be seen as that kind of Christian, you know? Or is there a sense of, like, I'm, I'm trying to be responsive to the Holy Spirit and open space and, you know, find people who are open to coming into this life, who are being open to drawn, drawn, being drawn into the life of God. So. I think, like, in here, in all of what we're saying is, like some of our just our motivation for doing outreach. Like I know at least the tradition I came out of it was very much like you were doing, you were having these conversations in hopes that you could have like another notch on your Christian belt of truth or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I think now, like for us to be able to actually discern what to do now, we just basically have to be comfortable with trying to take care of and love people, regardless of it. Like people may still think it's corny sometimes or like weird. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if our motivation is to care for them and love them, yeah. then yes. that's, that's who we're called to be. I, I feel that sense of risk and vulnerability every time I lean into proclaiming good news to somebody. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So whether it's a discipleship group or my neighbor, like if I have a sense that I want to proclaim some good news to you, like I still, I, like it's, I always feel it. It's always, it's always safer to just go, yeah, let's just talk about sports you know like let's talk about something else because that would be easier but it's it's vulnerable it's it's a connection that's it's like risky you know i don't know what you're going to do with this you know mm-hmm. but but i want to i want to i want to i want to say something you know that kind of thing um so i i think that's it's always going to feel risky um, but i think that's a good word let me let me quickly go over our practices because this this is a great uh i love i love these classes by the way because uh like, I've got stuff in my notes. I'm like, oh, we should talk about that. But it's, uh, we always find a way into it that uh, surprises me, you know, as we discuss. So, so I think what we're talking about is the reason that we have specific practices that we're cultivating as a community instead of values. So I, I think habits, um, one of the ways we say this is that habits eat, uh, habits eat values for breakfast. You guys ever heard the culture eats strategy for breakfast? Habits eat values for breakfast. Values, often, too often, are just a list of abstract ideas that we like, that we sort of hope our community is, right? But practices actually give us something to do. How would we know if we're practicing our practices? Well, I can look at my calendar, right? Or I can, I can see if I'm really doing these things. So uh, practices aren't just things that we schedule in. Um, they're things that we learn to embody, kind of do for our whole lives, right? So practices are those. So and I think what these practices embody for us is this kind of way of being that we're talking about. So we're talking about being a people who aren't afraid to go out, but who aren't trying to get notches on our belt. Well, how do we, how do we learn how to do that? Well, with one another, we learn to practice the same practices that we then practice in the world. So there's, again, evangelism, discipleship are the same thing. And so for me, it's been, it's been super helpful to realize, okay, there's a way of being in the world 
that I'm learning to do my whole, everyday life. And, and everything we do on Sundays, everything we do on table groups, like it's all geared towards how do we practice these things together? And then like evangelism just becomes like opening the door to see if somebody else wants to practice these things with us. Like this is what we do. Are you interested in that? Well, come, just learn how to do it. We're all just doing these things, right? And actually the practicing of these things is what opens up the space for people to be drawn in. So our, our, we've got four, we, a bunch of different things that we've thought about. We've boiled it down into four practices uh, that I think are, are helpful ones to talk about. So first one is welcoming. Um, that's the opening up of space. It's, it's Christian hospitality, essentially. It's opening up space for others to be, right? And there's a, there's a spiritual... Uh, practice here of, of, of welcome, of hospitality, of being open to people, saying there's things it's not just entertainment, right? It's not like putting out the best china and putting on a nice playlist and, you know, like making the home smell nice. Those things can help. But, um, but what it is, it's a spiritual practice where we're learning to embrace one another and, and help one another feel, feel like it's okay for you to be here. You can be yourself with me. You don't need to perform here. It's okay for you to be here. That's, that's welcoming. Um, and so, I mean, we could talk a lot about this. There's, there's a, each one of these practices has an encounter and embody and extend, right? So like, you know, we experience the welcome of God every Sunday, right? So Anglican worship is an encounter with God who's already here. We don't have to make anything happen, right? We experience his hospitality. I know, buddy. You experience his hospitality. We, we learn how to do this with one another in our homes, right? And then we learn how to do this with our neighbors. We just, we learn how to create space. So welcoming uh, is, is a big deal. And we, we can lump, um, you know, mutual submission into that. So that's part of communal discernment, mutual submission, similar kind of concept. But what that is, is the creating of space for you to own where you're at. You know, like, what do you think? What do you feel? It's okay for you to feel it. And we'll discern what God's doing, right? There's a, there's a spiritual practice of creating space, which honestly, this, this one alone, if you do this one and then the next one, welcoming and listening, so few people have spaces where they feel like they're welcome and somebody's going to listen to them and see them, that these two things, these two things alone, like, you know, create people who are like, oh, I want to hang out more with that person, right? So welcoming, mutual submission, listening, uh, communal discernment, and so we've been talking about this, right? Not just listening so that I can plot my next move to you know, get you to come to my church, but really listening to people and saying, being present with them and uh, seeing where they're at. For example, story night, right? Those of you who've been to story night, we're practicing these practices with one another, right? And it would be very easy to invite somebody else into that. I could invite a neighbor to story night. Hey, we're going to tell stories. Come, you know? And that's, that's a practicing of those practices. Does that make sense? Welcoming, uh, listening, third practice is gospeling, which is essentially proclaiming good news. I'm learning to, you know, proclaim good news, contextually. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Nolan. You guys remember when uh, you guys were over at our house and Nolan was keeping track of Edie? Yeah, remember that? And so I remember noticing how gentle he was with her. And how sweet he was with her. I remember noticing that. And, uh, and what I'm learning to do is instead of just notice that, I'm learning to actually speak that out. And so I, I was like, oh, I should tell Nolan what I see. Right? This is an example of proclaiming good news. So I just told Nolan, here's what I notice about you. You're really gentle with her. You really, I trust you with my dog. With my tiny dog that could break at any moment. You know, stepped on it. Right? So I trust, but I, I realize, Nolan, I trust you with her. You know? That's proclaiming good news to Nolan. Does that make sense? Like that's an example of what I'm talking about. I didn't tell Nolan an atonement theory, but what I did was I, right? Thank you. Right, yeah. Although I think he'd be super fascinated by those, you know? Like. So anyway, proclaiming good news is, uh, is what we learn how to do, right? And that's what it sounds like. Um, I, tell, uh, I tell my daughter, Sydney, often, uh, Sydney, you have everything you need, even when you don't get what you want. You have everything you need, even when you don't get what you want. That's like her mantra right now, right? Sometimes she doesn't appreciate it, which is why it feels risky to say it. Um, but, you know, saying those, you know, you have an important contribution to make. I'm glad you're here. 
Proclaiming good news. We learn how to do that with one another, which makes it then easier to proclaim good news to our neighbors, right? So there's an encounter, right? We're going to hear good news today in a sermon. There's an embody. We learn to proclaim to one another. There's an extend. We learn to proclaim good news. And again, it's not an atonement theory to try to get you across the line. It's just contextual. Good news. Hey, I know this is hard for you. You're not alone. What do you need? We're here for you, right? That's good news, embodying it, being there for people. And we trust that God's at work in these things, right? There's no pressure for me to like make something happen in the conversation. I just trust that, hey, I'm proclaiming good news. God is at work. Spirit's working here. I'm not in charge of it, but I get to participate in it. All right, and the final one, the final practice, and this is the one I, I don't think we're as good at as the rest of them yet, is going. Sean, you mentioned this. Like, uh, going is a practice for us where we're not just content to be a great community that hopefully people find. But there's an intentional practice of moving out, seeking out the lost, right? Whoever they might be, not just people who don't believe in Jesus, but like the marginalized, the weak, the poor, right? So we see Jesus do this with his disciples. Sends out the 72. Hey, I'm going to go to these villages. I want you to go two by two. I want you to find a person of peace. I want you to proclaim good news. Heal the sick. Go and, you know, expand this thing, you know? Um, and uh, I think the important thing to say there is that we go, our posture in going, you'll notice Jesus sends them out without extra money, like they don't have any extra clothes. Why does he do that? He's sending them out so that they are in need to the people they're seeking to reach. They go out in weakness, not in strength. They go out submitting. Hey, we need a place to stay for the night. And if they find somebody who's a person of peace, which, who's somebody who just says, hey, I'll, yes, I'll welcome you then there's this sense of, okay, there's a mutuality here. There's a space where we can proclaim the kingdom. And so we don't have any money to give you. Thank you for letting us stay in your home. But we do have, we could, we, we do have some good news we can proclaim to you, right? And is anybody sick, we can heal. Right? So they go out, but it's a, there's a mutuality. They don't go out, you know, like, hey, who wants the kingdom? You know, like... <laughs> Who's, you know, they go out like basically not knowing if they're going to find a person of peace. Jesus says, if you don't find one, just brush the dust off your feet and move on. You might have to sleep out on the road. You know? So anyway, those are the practices. Any any final thoughts on those things? I have a question. What, yes. I feel like I can see the first three there like, outwork in the table. What would be an example of going? Uh, well, that's, that's why I said like I, I don't think we're very good at it yet. I don't know yet. I might have missed that. <laughs> no, no. I, that, I might not have heard that. Sorry. No, yeah, no. I, uh, I don't think we're very good at it yet. Um, I think we need to learn what it looks like for us, gotcha. what it would look like to go. Um, I saw a church uh, in Denver uh, a while back that did a, uh, what did they call it? Uh, Blessapalooza. They did a Blessapalooza. And uh, I was like, wow, what was that? But it's basically just a big carnival they threw in the park. But it was explicitly like, it was called Blessapalooza. And they had people on hand to like, just like pray prayers of blessing over people. You need anything blessed? You want your pet blessed? We'll bless your pet. You know, like, and the bouncy house and some water games and that kind of thing. They just threw a carnival. They called it Blessapalooza. And they just invited people. and said, hey, we're, we're here. We're part of this church. We want to bless you with bounce houses and with anything else you need, you know? So... You know, I think I think this is when I bring that up about the place about going. I think it's part of our development. Yes. A child, as it begins to know its world mm. is safe and what it's about, then goes and explores, and then goes out into its world. And the disciples, they didn't go until there was a place. Then Jesus sent them when there was a place when they knew they had something to give. To yes. Them. Yeah. And I think, I think we will, that will happen, I think, organically. Yeah. I think it needs to be intentional, too. I think uh-huh. Blessed Blues is a great thing. And yet, at the same time, I think that the, I think it's a part of our development. It's like, who, who are we? What mm. are we calling people into? What yeah. Is, what is, you know, that, and you know how that is. Yeah. Um, so I think not being hard on ourselves on that. Um, yeah. You know, when I brought that up, you know, it's, it's the spirit of it wasn't 
something negative. I think yeah. I think it's in our DNA because it's something so attractive about who we are. Yes. Yeah. That we have. I mean, the reality is we have so many beautiful families. Yes. Like every one of us have something so much that the world needs, which is mm. a nice family. I the know. reason why I came into the church was I needed a family. Yeah. My family was splintered. It was mm-hmm. gone. It was like, how do you parent? Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> oh, you don't party every night? <laughs> <laughs> really? No, really. I mean, honestly, yeah. you were like looking for it. Like, oh, that's attractive. That's different. I yeah. don't. Oh, you're not screaming at each other. How's that done? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, even family life. I mean, we have that so beautiful and attractive here. Yeah. There's something of order and mm-hmm. uh, and peace here. Yes. That's so going to be so attractive mm-hmm. as we go out. The people are going to come into it and say, "Oh, I need that." Yes. I need that. Yeah. But they're going to be somewhat invited, you know. Into yes. It. So you know. Yeah, that's a really good word. I think it's. I think it's important. You got. You got one more thing, Andy. Just one. More. Go ahead. So, uh, and you may have said this um, already. So if I did, just say, um, but uh, regarding going. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned, hey, you know, I don't think we're very good at it. Um, which, yeah, yeah, like we can definitely grow in that. But like, um, I know that there was some people going to Spark Fishers and some of the band yeah. concert stuff. So like, yeah, you can still consider that going because when yes, we go, good. we're trying to pay attention yes. to what's happening around us. Like, is uh, did someone start randomly talking to us or, mm-hmm. or whatever? So like. We're, so we are going. Yeah. So like whenever we're in Chicago and uh, we're sitting at a volleyball tournament, like I still consider that us as going and sure. practicing yes. all those things. Mm-hmm. We are still going yeah. and trusting that, yes. you know, and, and just keeping our mind um, present to any mm-hmm. uh, opportunity uh, that is out there, yeah. you know, which did present itself when we were in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we didn't expect it. We didn't force it on people, but there, there yeah. were, you know, opportunities. I mean, yeah. you know, we see, seized <laughs> opportunities to capitalize. Yeah, no, no, yeah, it's as great. As much as uh, I yes. love the structured Blessapalooza, right? For me, like I'm the organic guy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Just, yeah, I don't need anything structured. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some some do, and it's not right or wrong. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And that again, this will have a, a counter embody and extend yes. kind of vision to it, right? So so yes, you know, all of these things, right? right. Uh, but yeah, that's a good word. That like, when I say we're not good at it yet, it's not like I'm saying we should be good at it. I think there is a developmental thing about it where we're trying. We're trying not to submit to that pressure you talked about, Scott, of like, oh gosh, we have to do this and that. But we are trying to pay attention to the spirit. And be intentional. And where can we step out? Where can we take a risk? You know, yeah. where, what, what's God leading us into? You know, how's the spirit work? So, good, good stuff, guys. We gotta, we gotta run. We gotta get ready. We gotta get ready to worship. So, amen to all of this. Go.